0: So, April, how would you characterize the state of mental health care in California?
1: Most people would say it's pretty bad. You know, our health care system was not set up from the beginning to care for people with mental health issues. Uh, this is something we've had to cobble together over the last few decades. April Damboski
0: is a health correspondent at KQED. She's been covering
1: California's latest attempt
0: to address its mental health crisis. It's called CARE Court. It's a court system for people struggling with psychotic disorders like schizophrenia and sometimes homelessness and substance abuse, too. The hope is to create a system that gets people the help they need but can't get for themselves. Ideally, that happens voluntarily, but a judge can also mandate care, including involuntary commitment. The program started at the beginning of October. It's being piloted in seven counties. And over the next several months, it'll expand across the state. And as controversial as it sounds, the legislation passed almost unanimously. Only two state lawmakers voted against it. Governor Gavin Newsom
1: has been a major champion of the program. Foundationally, what CARE is about is about accountability at all levels. We can save taxpayers billions of dollars and save lives. By December. One of the main advocacy groups that has been largely in favor of CARE Court is family members of people with mental illness. You know, parents of adult children who, who have perhaps been suffering with schizophrenia, another kind of psychotic illness in some cases for, for many years. And I have heard from a lot of different parents who have been... You know, largely taking care of their kids since late adolescence, early 20s. I mean, a lot of psychotic illness tends to appear in late adolescence or early 20s. And for a lot of young people, this is a total about face that there was no hint of anything, you know, being awry. And then all of a sudden, You know, someone at an Ivy League college just completely falls apart from hearing voices, hallucinations, delusions. And, you know, a lot of family members have been on a long journey. You know, their kids are now in their 40s or 50s, and they feel very frustrated that there just aren't enough systems in place to help people live and thrive in their lives. But not everyone is on board with care court. Some critics,
0: especially disability rights activists, say any system that's using involuntary treatment is going too far.
2: Medical incarceration, it's just another way to mass incarcerate people. And instead of it just being like criminal, it's medical now.
0: Hearing the word court and the word care together kind of seems like an oxymoron. Yeah. I don't know if people tend to think of court as the most caring place.
1: I mean, I I agree with you. I think those two words together strikes a lot of people as very strange. You know, a court is someplace you go when you do something bad and it's where a judge meets out punishment. So I think some people are very concerned that a concept of care court suggests that having a mental illness is enough for you to get in trouble. Um, So I think they have a task ahead of them to, you know, to change the image of the court system into a place where you are welcome and you're going to get help.
0: Today on the show, California's intent on getting people the mental health treatment they need. Can they do it without trampling people's rights? I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's
2: plushcare.com/weightloss.
0: How does someone who needs mental health care end up in care court?
1: Basically, you know, access to care court begins with a petition. It can be filed by a family member of a person with psychotic illness, a mental health clinician, or a first responder like a police officer or an EMT. They can file a petition with the local court saying, this you know young man who often shows up in my ambulance, they have schizophrenia, I'm worried about them, I think they need help. And so then the court will then Order the usually the county behavioral health department to find the person and do a clinical evaluation. So make sure that they qualify for the program, that their illness is severe enough that it warrants intervention mm-hmm. by the courts. And so the idea is that then together, all these people will work together to come up with a care plan, some you know, recommended treatment, medication, maybe housing assistance if that's what you know, the person needs. The idea being that, you know, this process will be going on for maybe a year or two years. And during that time, they will be required to attend court hearings. And you know the hope is that through care court folks will engage willingly in this care. Um, there is an element of the law where if they don't, if they're if, you know, they're not complying with the treatment plan or it's not working, there is an arm of the law that would allow a judge to order a person to go to the hospital.
0: And just to to define what, like, how severe does the mental illness need to be to be eligible for care court?
1: Right. So it is very specific that it has to be a psychotic illness. So we're talking about schizophrenia or Mm -hmm. schizoaffective disorder, some, some form like that. And the other piece of it is that the person needs to be a threat to themselves or others or unlikely to, you know, survive safely without some kind of supervision.
0: Participants in care court can undergo a lot of expensive treatment as part of the program. If a person has private insurance, judges can compel the insurance companies to cover services they otherwise wouldn't. But a lot of the people likely to end up in the program are on Medicaid, which means the state will be paying for their treatment.
1: Now, the question is, does the state have enough money and resources to cover all the people who will qualify for mental health services through care court, that is another question that remains to be tested.
0: Can you give me a sense of the scope of the mental health crisis in California? How many people in general are struggling with untreated psychotic illness or or other severe mental health problems?
1: So, you know, the state as far as the state is concerned, you know, there, it's this really small number of folks who, who may have untreated psychotic illness. We know about 1% of the population in general has schizophrenia. We know that nearly half of people with any kind of mental illness don't get treatment because they can't afford it, can't find a provider because of the stigma. So I think that's where it's important to understand. The political genesis behind Care Court, um, and that you know, the population of people with untreated psychotic illness who are visible—those are the folks that have really inspired this program. Folks who are living on the street, who appear unable to take care of themselves, who may be yelling or walking into traffic. Uh, you know, this has been a real top concern of California voters in polls businesses are frustrated by the disruption but mainly you know people are frustrated to see fellow humans suffering in the street like this
0: how bound up together are the issues of mental illness and homelessness in this case
1: i think from a political perspective these two issues are seen as bound together, as as intertwined. You know, that the homelessness problem is a mental illness problem. And therefore, let's create this, you know, innovative new program that targets mental illness, and it will magically clean up our streets. If you then talk to, you know, the folks on the ground who are in charge of implementing the program, you know, the clinicians or maybe some of the researchers who have really been studying these two things, they will say these are two separate issues. You know, care core is is not going to be a solution to homelessness. I've talked to researchers who say, you know, straight up, the the problem of homelessness is that people don't have housing. If you have all the treatment in the world and you didn't have the housing, we would still have this problem. California's housing crisis is no
0: secret. By some estimates, the state has several million fewer housing units than it needs. And half of the country's homeless population lives in California. When shelter becomes scarce, it's mentally ill people who are most likely to end up unhoused. But critics of CARE Court say that doesn't mean mental health care
1: will solve homelessness. Many folks, as I said, will argue, you know, the solution to homelessness is housing and the solution to mental illness is treatment.
0: I'd love to understand or get a picture of what CARE Court looks like when it's put into practice. Can you tell me the story of Heidi Sweeney?
1: Yeah. Heidi is a woman I met and around her, you know, early to mid-20s, she started having pretty serious mood swings. She would get really manic. She would stay up for days and she would just be, you know, working nonstop. And then she eventually started hearing voices, you know, voices that would tell her things like, it's not safe here. You know, you you need to get out of here. And she was married. She was living in a home, but she had these voices telling her to go somewhere else. And she actually went for a period and, and lived in a homeless encampment because that's where she thought she needed to be safe. So eventually, she was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, which is basically um, schizophrenia that comes with a mood component, but. Every time, you know, someone offered her help, she declined. She said, you know, I'm not sick. That's not me. That's not how she saw herself. And yet, these voices were really bothering her, and so she started drinking. So, you know, just just drinking to try to drown out the voices in her head. And at a really low point, she was living in the bushes outside a liquor store. She was drinking vodka all day, and eventually, she got picked up by the police for petty theft and public drunkenness. And at the time, Orange County had what is called a mental health court. So this is for folks who have broken the law in some way, but it's acknowledged and understood that their mental health condition contributed to you know their ability to make good decisions or, or have good judgment about things. And so the judge gave her a choice. He said, you can either go to jail or you can go into treatment. And so she she chose treatment and, you know, it was a really rocky road for her. Um, I would say probably the course of years until she felt like she was thoroughly engaged with her own care and she found her way through. She is, you know, reconciled with her husband. She's working again. And so, you know, she had an experience of this, this kind of collaborative court where she felt it really helped her. She felt like if she hadn't been forced into it, you know, she wouldn't have gotten better.
0: Yeah. So this is pre-care court, but people are looking at Heidi Sweeney as this example, perhaps, of what care court could do.
1: Exactly. This is pre-court. This is for, you know, again, someone who, who had, you know, broken the law and was, you know, that a crime needed to be addressed. Care court is different. Care court is a civil court process. It's not for people who have, you know, committed a crime. But nonetheless, you know, Orange County has had success building out this kind of, you know, collaborative court. And so, I think that is certainly the idea that the the judges in Orange County want to bring to care court.
2: but there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in DC on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.
1: It
0: sounds like the, the most controversial part of care court is this option to mandate treatment for an unwilling participant. Who would not want to get care?
1: Well, there's a lot of reasons that people might not want to get care. So one of the tricky things about psychotic illness is that it distorts your sense of reality, what's real, what isn't. And many folks, because of their illness, don't believe that they're ill, that, you know, they're what's going on in their life in their reality is that there's a government conspiracy or an alien invasion. And so To them, that is their reality. And so when folks then say, like, you're sick, we need to take you to the hospital. Well, no. How is that not part of the conspiracy? You're you're just trying to see my thoughts or, you know, get control of my brain. Paranoia is one of the key symptoms of schizophrenia oftentimes. So there's a lot about the illness itself that makes treatment unappealing. There's another piece, you know, many antipsychotic medications have really rough side effects. So even for people who, you know, acknowledged their symptoms are part of an illness and they're really distressing and they want to, you know, lessen those symptoms, the medications themselves can make you really tired, really sluggish. You know, I talked to one person who told me, you know, the the antipsychotic medications they take make them sleep 16 hours a day they can also, you know, cause a lot of weight gain. I mean, for all of us, have we all haven't we all taken a medication that's supposed to be good for us, but you know, in some cases just makes us feel worse in other ways that it's not worth it. So, I think that's true for a lot of folks with antipsychotic medications.
0: Yeah. So, it sounds like the courts are trying to achieve or will have to achieve this delicate balance of getting people who need mental health services to accept care. Without coercion, even though their illness may make them think that they aren't ill. So I'm wondering with that in mind, how successful is involuntary commitment? Can people get better when they're subjected to treatment that they didn't voluntarily submit to?
1: This this is a tough one. There is some evidence that, you know, an involuntary commitment can help someone with severe psychotic illness, especially if you know they're in such a bad state that they are contemplating suicide, that they're, you know, a danger to themselves or potentially to somebody else. So in some of those cases, going to the hospital can literally save lives. On the other hand, you know, there are many clinicians who are just philosophically opposed to any kind of coercion with treatment. And they tell me that when it comes to long-term engagement with treatment, because these are chronic illnesses, most people will be living with them for most of their lives that in recognizing that it is much much better to take the time you know to build trust in the healthcare system and engage the person voluntarily i mean think about folks who you know were put in the hospital against their will i mean i have also talked to people who were tied to the bed in the hospital who were yelled at for getting up and you know walking around their room why would you want to go back to the you know, healthcare system writ large, if that's your experience of it. And so I think there is something to be said, you know, from the clinicians who've been on the front lines of this for a really long time. Like let's build a, a foundation of trust and let's go from there. And I'll say, you know, even with CareCourt, which which does create this legal structure to to mandate care. The folks that I have been talking to who are on the grounds, who are in charge of making this happen, want to want to make sure that that happens as little as possible, that they're now going to work within the structure of care court and, and use those resources to do it their way. To reach out to people, and instead of you know you're part of care court, we're taking you in for a hearing. There, instead, have the you know the buy-in from all the people in their county, the court system, the public defender's office, the county behavioral health department, to send out social workers, ten times you know hmm. to meet someone. Hey, Jim, we heard that you're sick, and and that like you know maybe you're having trouble. What do you need? You know the idea being give us a give us more chances to offer it and more chances for someone to say yes you know before we start going down the road of of mandates and and coercion
0: we've talked about some of the reasons people are in favor of care court but can you take me through some of the arguments against the program what are the concerns that people have
1: yeah so there's a huge concern from civil rights advocates that you know we are targeting people specifically for their illness that is outlined in the legislation and, you know, that you can't target people specifically because they have schizophrenia or, you know, another disability. There's a huge concern also among civil rights circles about people of color being disproportionately represented in this program, being disproportionately pulled into the to the court system. And that is because, you know, we're looking at homeless population and black residents are overrepresented in the homeless population because of systemic racism. And they also tend to be over-diagnosed with schizophrenia again because of you know systemic racism embedded in the healthcare system and how people get diagnosed and how this illness is viewed. So there's a lot of groups that are going to be watching that piece of the program in particular to make sure that there isn't essentially racial profiling of who gets pulled into the court system.
0: You mentioned that Heidi Sweeney was in care, you know, like it took her at least a couple of years, I think, for her to take part in her own care. And 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 I'm wondering if there's an understanding that care court is going to also take years. Like, is there an understanding that this program is kind of going to be in it with people for the long haul?
1: That is the understanding that this care plan will be developed. um, People will engage. There will be periodic hearings throughout the year. If at the end of, you know, the first year, it's determined that people are doing great, you know, then they could graduate out of the program. If it's determined that they could use a little bit more support, it can be extended for another year. So the idea is that at the end of two years, You know, again, hopefully someone's doing well, managing their illness on their own, and will graduate from the program. If folks are not, you know, continue to not doing well, that's where that element of, you know, hospitalization could potentially come in. Again, if the county itself is willing to engage with that piece of the law.
0: You know, it's one thing to get people into treatment and get people to buy into a treatment plan. But there are other underlying barriers to care. And I'm wondering if there is a simultaneous effort to address those barriers, like a shortage of mental health providers or a shortage of beds and treatment facilities. You know, are there other programs being built alongside CARE Court to address those issues?
1: So this has been one of the biggest criticisms of CARE Court when this idea was first floated there was a lot of pushback, you know, from the counties, from the behavioral health department saying, we already don't have enough resources to care for the people who are under our charge. We don't have enough beds. We don't have enough therapists. You know, where's the money going to come from to provide these services? And so the state has invested some. When I talk to, you know, the county, the directors of the county behavioral health departments, they'll say, it's not enough for all of the things that we're being, that are expected of us. And so there, there is definitely, you know, a lot of frustration about how exactly is this, you know, all going to work? How, how are we going to actually serve the people who are, who are coming into the system?
0: April, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
0: April Damboski is a health correspondent for KQED. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate+. Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery, with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Yasmin Khan, in for Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. Talk to you
2: soon. The, the great lesson of this uh, for me is that people will come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are. Subscribe
1: to The Queen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now.